everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you're joining us online, thank you for doing that as well. We're glad that you've tuned in. My name's Jay. If you're new here, I'm the director of worship. And uh, I just wanted to give a brief word. I was, I was dwelling on this this morning, thinking about it, um, just kind of in those moments where you're like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, but I need to get out of bed. But just like reflecting on some things, and what I think what the Holy Spirit was bringing to me is this idea that in our lives... And in everything we do, we think about being doers. When we talk to each other and you get to know each other, you typically ask, so what do you do? And talk about your job, you talk about your work or your school or whatever it might be. 
And sometimes we bring that into us, uh, with us on Sundays, that we come here to do. We come here to sing, to hear from God's word, which, which we do. But we come here with this mindset of striving and working towards something. And that's not what we're doing here. We're coming here to be rather than to do. To be reminded of our identity in Christ. And the things that we do are an outpouring of that identity in Christ. We sing to Christ not to earn any favor or any acceptance from God because it's already been earned by Jesus. But we sing out of that outpouring of praise and adoration for what he has done for us. So I'm going to read uh, a call to worship this morning from Galatians 2. Uh, it might be a familiar one, Galatians 2.20. And uh, we're going to pray together, we're going to sing together, and we're going to be together. This is Galatians 2.20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray together as we begin. O oh God of mercy and grace, we come to you this morning simply desiring to live out this reality in Galatians 2. We believe in Christ. And we are new creations. And we know that we no longer have to try and earn your favor. So God, may this morning be a picture of that. May we not try to earn what we've already been given in Jesus by coming here, by singing songs, by taking communion, by taking good notes during the sermon. God, may those things be an outworking of an established identity that's found in the person and work of Christ. Would you be here in this place this morning, giving us eyes to see the beauty that is the gospel? And may we grow in our love for you and others this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing. Sing of the church's one foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With him Every grace and 
church shall never perish. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale against a traitor, she ever shall Satan tempts, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me sing hallelujah
one with himself I cannot die my soul is purchased by his blood my life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Savior and my God with Christ my Savior and my God gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me.
Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. It's really, really good to be with you. Thank you for coming uh, early on a holiday weekend, uh, especially after some of you, if not many of you, were out quite late last night, um, fasting and praying, as, as it were, actually. I, put, I want that on YouTube, so 20 years from now, when people go back and watch, it's like, wow, that church was on point. Yes, that's what we were doing. We were all up very late last night, fasting and praying. Um, it's good to see you. I want to make a few announcements. Number one, I would love to get to know you. Um, I'm, I'm always around near the stage after the service. Please do come say hello. Um, we would love to pray for you this week. If you have a connection card, you, we put a connection card in the bulletin each week. 
We do that mainly so we can pray for you, really. So please consider filling that out with a prayer request and then putting that card in the seat pocket in front of you, or you can drop it in that brown box in the back. We pick those up after the service. We pray for you during the week. And very often, if you put your name on it and give us some contact info, we will drop you a note and, and tell you that we prayed for you. Um, also a great way to communicate with us about any questions you might have, uh, any ways you might want to be involved in the life of our church. If you have questions about who we are, what we believe here at City Church, we're very responsive. So take advantage of that card. And if you want a virtual card on your phone to fill out, you can do that to citychurchgmv.com connection. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as a people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgmv.com give, or there's a brown box in the back of the sanctuary as well. We have um, launched, as of actually several weeks ago, kind of resumed our community groups here at City Church. These are groups of people. There's nine of them. They meet uh, every week in people's homes to eat, pray together, study scripture, uh, serve our city, etc. They do a lot. We encourage everybody in the life of our church to be a part of one. There's information about them in your bulletin. There's information on the table in the back. We would encourage you to take a look at that put something on your connection card. We will help you get involved. They are always open to everybody. Uh, They're never closed. There's not a waiting list. We are doing something new, though, this year, and I want Tyler Jacobs. uh, I'll give him a minute to travel and get the mic. Tyler Jacobs is leading. It's not technically a community group, but it's kind of like a community group. It's actually called Christianity Explored, um, and it is an alternative to doing a community group this fall. Um, it has a lot of the same rhythms. So tell us a little bit more about what it is, when it is, and why someone might do this as opposed to a community group. Yes, so Christianity Explored is starting in two weeks on a Wednesday night um, at 6.30. It goes for eight weeks, and essentially, as it shows up there, goes through the gospel, um, and essentially walks through the gospel according to Mark, tracing who Jesus is, what he's done, and then like what does it mean to believe in him. Um, so it's essentially for people who potentially are invested in Christianity, who don't know the good news, have not really heard, okay, what does it mean to believe mm-hmm. in the gospel? But it's also for people who potentially just became Christians um, or who haven't even experienced, as you were saying, Christian community before, um, to basically engage discussion over a meal, there's a meal included, where you can at least have an introduction to what it's like to read the Bible, do it with other people, uh, which is what we do in community group. Uh, but this would be kind of an introduction to that, especially if you've never been a part of a community where there's biblical study. This is a great like first opportunity just to see what that's like and do it through the gospel according to Mark, which is you know essential information for what it means to be a Christian. Um, so I think that's on the side of even if you are not yet in a community group, this might be something that would be really interesting to you. Um, it's only eight weeks. And again, like I said, it's a very low-key setting over here in the community room in the church, um, which is right behind this wall. Uh, I'd also say, too, it is for, like I mentioned, people who are investigating what Christianity is about. So if you are here and you're not a Christian, this is definitely a great opportunity, I think, to even engage in a smaller setting, which sometimes it can be harder in larger groups, to have discussions about faith. So that's a big opportunity. I'd look into that. But then also, too, if you uh, just if you are a Christian you know someone, we're encouraging people too to invite a friend potentially that is looking into the gospel and then go with them to the meal and the discussion. Um, so it's a really great like invitational opportunity too if you're a Christian in the church just to say, hey, there's just a small gathering 
We're going to be going through the gospel according to Mark, and this is going to be kind of an intro to what Christians believe. Yes, outstanding. Um, so again, that's going to be on Wednesday nights. Yep. Sorry, time again. 6.30. 6.30 in the community, in the community room, room, which is behind, right behind here. Yep, behind the lobby. Uh, and one of the things about it, not only is it you know an intro to Christianity, mm-hmm. um, it, it's you're going to be doing the same kind of rhythms that you would experience in a community group, and it has a hard end point. So if you get into it and you're like, oh, I don't know about this, um, you have a way out, at least yeah. after eight weeks. No, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you're not making, at least in your mind, an indefinite commitment. And then at that point, you'll have an opportunity to potentially, Lord willing, uh, be in a community group. Right. So. I'd mention one two thing, if, or one more thing. If, yeah, if you haven't, um, like, gone over the basic doctrines of Christianity in a while, or maybe, yeah. like, you just started coming to church again after being away for a period of time, this might also be really helpful, too, because it's going to go through eight sessions on what are the essentials of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So even for people who have been Christians for maybe a little bit yeah. of time, but kind of want a refresher, this is definitely going to serve as that as well. Yeah, so if you're already in a community group, you could go to this, too, or you could even maybe duck out of your community group just for eight weeks. Don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> uh, and participate in this and then re-engage right. in your community group down the road. Um, thank you, Tyler. Yep. really appreciate that. We also have a number of adult education things starting next week, quite a lot. Uh, so this week you chill, you relax, um, you go to the beach, next week you learn. Um, you've got a Joshua study for women that's beginning um, next Monday evening, eight o'clock via Zoom, or you have an in-person option here with childcare on Tuesday morning. Next Monday, so not tomorrow, but the following Monday, also begins our a class called A Biblical Theology of Marriage, seven o'clock, in the sanctuary, eight weeks. We'll be teaching most of it. We would love to see you there. So keep that in mind. Our Bible study in Spanish already started um, this past week, I think, right? Yeah, this past week it launched, and that will continue on Thursday evenings um, this week and for the rest of the semester. All right, our scripture passage this morning is from the book of Zechariah, believe it or not, folks. Zechariah chapter 7, the entire chapter, this will be verses 1 through 14. Zechariah 7, 1 through 14. Scripture passage will be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. This is the third and final week of our sermon series on the City Church vision statement, which is this. We say it every morning. We desire to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. So two weeks we talked about authentic community. What do we mean by that? We looked at Acts chapter 2. Last week we talked about walking with God, Proverbs chapter 3, and then today we're talking about our namesake. You know, we're called City Church now. We're talking about our namesake, being a church that is faithfully in our city, invested in our city. What do we mean by that? Zechariah 7 verses 1 through 14, so the whole chapter. Let me read it for us, keeping in mind that this is God's holy word. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now the people of Bethel sent Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, shall I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it 
for me that you fasted. And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her in the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stomped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Let's pray together. Lord, this is, uh, there's a lot going on in this passage, a lot that many of us probably aren't very familiar with, and so we need help um, in abundance by the power of your Spirit to really understand what's happening here, and not only to understand it, but to really love this text and to apply it faithfully in our lives for your glory and the good of this world that we live in. We love you so very much. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, I know what you're thinking. Finally, finally, we get to revisit this issue of weeping and abstention that Sherezer and Regimelech raised with the priests in the month of Kislev in 518 B.C. When you walked through the door this morning, you said, I have not been in Zechariah chapter 7 for a very long time, so get ready for some preaching. Now, won't God do it this morning through Zechariah Chapter 7. Actually, this probably wasn't on your mind at all when you walked through the lobby a few minutes ago or, or turned on the, the YouTubes. Shoot, probably some of you didn't even know the book of Zechariah was in the Bible, which is fine. I mean, I, listen, j- until a couple of weeks ago, I didn't even know all the Pokemon characters, but thankfully I have a six-year-old daughter who's filling me in. So there's, there's, we all have our gaps. However, despite the lesser-known status of the book of Zechariah. I really believe that God intends to use this passage specifically, as we're going to see the book more generally, to shed some very fresh light on what it means for us to be a church that's invested in this city. How does Zechariah do this? He does this by bringing together two critically important biblical themes that are regularly and even bitterly separated in our day. Two themes that pull us outside of ourselves and into these seas of godly self-forgetfulness, seas that we've been swimming in the past two weeks when we've considered what it means to be an authentic community and what it means to walk with God. And you know what? By the time we are done this morning, the book of Zechariah might be one of your favorite books. Seriously. That would be something. At the, at the very least, it would give you some opportunities to be pretentious on social media, right? I mean, if you're going to 
If you're going to Instagram an open Bible in your coffee mug, which please don't do that, but if you're going to do it, the first page of Zechariah is one of your stronger options, isn't it? Two exhortations this morning as we consider Zechariah chapter 7 and really the entire book. Number one, let's look at what's here. Then number two, let's look at what's coming. Let's look at what's here, and let's look at what's coming. Start with that first exhortation. Let's look at what's here. Want some good news right out of the gate? Here's some good news. Many of you know more about Zechariah than you think you do, especially if you were around for our Ezra and Nehemiah series this past summer. You thought we were done with that series, but we're actually going right back to it this morning. And if you missed it, you can watch it on YouTube. Those two books, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which are one literary unit, they're one book in the Hebrew Scriptures, they narrate the end of the Israelite exile in Babylon, including the return in several waves of the surviving Israelites to their home in Judea. It's a backdrop. Upon their return, these Israelites attempted to rebuild their lives spiritually and physically, an undertaking that was absolutely fraught with external opposition as well as various internal problems. So instead of bringing fresh-baked cookies, the neighbors felt threatened by the returning Israelites and did what they could to undermine the rebuild. Plus, let's just say that the spiritual reasons why the Lord exiled the Israelites in the first place, mainly having to do with idolatry and injustice, those issues had not been entirely resolved during this exile. The very fraught return. So, for example... This guy named Zerubbabel led the first wave of exiles back to Jerusalem and Judah around 538 B.C. And a year or so after their arrival, the Israelites began to rebuild the Jerusalem temple, starting with the foundation. Been completely destroyed by the Babylonians, so when they returned, the first order of business was to rebuild this Jerusalem temple around 538 or so B.C. However, by 520 B.C., this is, this is 18 years after they had started, the temple project still was not finished. 18 years later, not done. In fact, the Israelites had become so discouraged and worn down by the opposition that they were facing that they had actually abandoned the project entirely for probably more than a decade. And instead, they were prioritizing their own interests, particularly their own homes. Church, want to know who got involved at that point? Answer, you can see this in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, a couple of really swell prophets by the names of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai was kind of the bad cop, at least a little bit early on. You can see this at the beginning of the book of Haggai. And he basically was saying this, yo, you guys, you, you return to exile. You are some serious spiritual trouble. 
because you're prioritizing your own homes at the expense of this temple project. So you might want to start prioritizing the house of God for the sake of your worship. Zechariah had a little bit more of the rah-rah in him, a bit more of a cheerleader, kind of. Don't, don't give up now, Israelites. Don't give up now. Even though your present circumstances are disappointing and bleak, God will still fulfill his promises to you. The, the branch is coming, as you can see in Zechariah chapter 3. The branch is coming, and when, when the branch comes, he will restore all things, and there will be peace. I realize that is an above-average level of excitement about a branch. And not to worry, we will get back to that later. But Ezra chapter 5, verse 2, shows us that these, these pep talks from Haggai and Zechariah ended up having their intended effect. And so the Israelites resumed their work on the Jerusalem temple. Two years later, now we're in 518 B.C., while this temple project was still in progress and nearing its completion, we get this report in Zechariah chapter 7 concerning weeping and abstention. The thing every one of you came in wondering about this morning. Apparently, you can see this in Zechariah chapter 7 verses 1 through 4, when the Israelites were originally taken into exile in Babylon, they established this, this annual ritual, you might say, of weeping and fasting that took place during the fifth month of the Hebrew calendar. The fifth month was symbolic since that was the same month in which Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed the original Jerusalem temple while Jerusalem was under siege. So some Israelites who were living in Bethel wanted to know, well, now that we're getting close to finishing this rebuilt temple and considering the apparently very imminent promises and blessings that God has reiterated to us through Haggai and Zechariah, do we really need to keep this weeping and fasting thing going? Every year. Do we really need to keep doing this? The whole point of it was to consistently mark and remember the destruction of the temple. So now what? And since this was, this was not a ritual that was addressed in the Mosaic Law, they, they had started doing this very organically. They sent Sherezer and Regamelech, two guys obviously with, with high status here because they had some men that went with them, so they sent two high society guys to Jerusalem to ask the priests and prophets for some advice. Should we keep doing this or not? And God responded to them accordingly through the prophet Zechariah, saying, you can see this in verses 5 and 6. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, which is a reference to a different annual fast, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted and when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? God has a, a way of taking legal questions and turning them into heart questions, doesn't he? Which is exactly what he's doing here. Jesus did this all of the time during his earthly ministry. People would 
come to him and ask him about the nuances of the law, and, and Jesus would get, he would get to the heart of the matter. And that's exactly what God is doing here. Israelites, more than anything, I care about your hearts. I care about your hearts. I care about your motivation. If you're fasting for me in, in humility, that is, you know, to get more of me and to enjoy me, then yeah, I mean, keep the ritual. Do whatever you need to do to, to get that in your life. But if you've been fasting for yourselves, for yourselves, such as to appease maybe some feelings of guilt or maybe feel a little bit more spiritually righteous and upstanding, then I hate to tell you this, but you've been wasting your time for about 70 years. So fasting alone, or really any spiritual discipline for that matter, I mean fasting, prayer, scripture reading, gathering like this on a Sunday morning, it does not necessarily indicate our true spiritual estate, which is why God asked about their hearts and his his concern for their true spiritual estate in this passage is very obvious. And then God rather suddenly redirects the conversation in verse 7. We were kind of going this way, and all of a sudden, I mean, we just take a hard left turn here. Israelites, as I told your forefathers before the exile, when Jerusalem was prospering, the truest evidence of your heart devotion to me as a people will be this, and now we're skipping to verse 9, that you're rendering true judgments, basically a command to do right by, and therefore faithfully love your neighbor, that you're showing kindness and mercy to one another, that you're not oppressing and instead advocating for the socially vulnerable, especially widows and orphans and sojourners and the poor, and that you're refraining from devising evil in your hearts against anyone, which is basically just a negatively stated summary of those prior exhortations. Was God hereby being dismissive about the value of fasting or other spiritual practices like prayer or corporate worship? Something like, you know, who cares about all that religious stuff? You just need to love people, man. Is that what God is saying here? No. It's not the point. But he was saying this. Israelites, your, your on-the-ground obedience, especially your care for the socially vulnerable, is actually the clearest window into the spiritual condition of your heart and the legitimacy of your spiritual disciplines. That's what he's saying. People who are genuinely satisfying themselves with me such as through spiritual disciplines, like fasting and prayer and so forth. People who are genuinely satisfying themselves with me. Here's what happens. You end up drinking from this, this fire hose of kindness and mercy and compassion. And then you end up showing that kindness and mercy to others. That's how it works. It just, it just bleeds out of you. So if there's no obedience on the ground, your fasting and sacrifices are meaningless and probably a cover for idolatry, probably a charade. And of course, this, this was not 
a hypothetical concern here. Verses 12 through 14 make it very clear that this is precisely what happened to the Israelites living in the promised land before the exile. In fact, things got so out of hand that God eventually told those Israelites, and you can see this in Isaiah chapter 1, I'm not going to listen to your prayers anymore. You can pray all you want, but I'm not going to listen to your prayers anymore because when you raise your hands to pray, those same hands are full of blood. That's its own sermon right there. I should have just read that. You can be engaged in all kinds of spiritual practices, prayer, in corporate worship, whatever, and still be fooling yourself spiritually. Your heart, to cite the language that God himself uses in verse 12, can still be diamond hard, even if you're praying and fasting and all of that. So Sherezer and Regamelech, poor guys, I mean, you got a feel for them here. They, they went to Jerusalem to ask about this annual fast with some, with some of their men. They, okay, you have a question, we'll, go to, we'll ask about it. But instead they got, I mean, an earful from the Lord. In response, a response that was intended to mitigate two potential problems as the Israelites sought to reestablish themselves in Jerusalem and Judah under difficult circumstances. He's trying to mitigate two possible problems. We've just been talking at length about the first one. God wanted to warn the Israelites against empty religious rhythms and piety. Now, don't do that again. Your fathers did that. Please don't repeat that. The second potential problem is important, but it's, it's, it's more apparent when we look at the book of Zechariah as a whole, but we can certainly detect it here in Zechariah chapter 7. God wanted to prevent his people from becoming so captivated by, by the promises and the blessings to come that they overlook the now, as in the needs, in their own community, and beyond. The Israelites had very good reasons to believe that God was about to do very remarkable things among them. Because of some prophecy from yet another prophet named Jeremiah, they had this 70-year clock in their heads that started at the beginning of the exile and was just about to expire. And at that point, God's presence would supposedly fill this new temple, and he would establish his kingdom and rule over all the nations. Plus, if you take a moment to read about Zechariah's night visions in Zechariah chapters 1 through 6, you will see that they are rather remarkable, and the prophecies contained in them appear to be imminent. And, and I mean, do read them. Do, do pull out the book of Zechariah and read these chapters when you get home after the service. I mean, eventually we get to the point where you have you know, two women with wings like a stork carrying a basket between heaven and earth. I mean, this is wild. So God wanted to make sure the Israelites didn't get so emotionally tied up in the future that they neglected what was right in front of them. Chipper, when are we going to talk about the vision statements? When are we going to talk about being a church that's in our city. We're not going to believe it, but we've already been doing exactly that. Part of our desire 
part of our desire to be a church that's in our city, literally city church. It would be awkward if we weren't invested in our city. Part of our desire is to show kindness and mercy to one another, paying special attention to the well-being of widows, orphans, sojourners, and the poor. The biblical pattern is that you start with your own house, with your own church family, then we make our way into our neighborhoods and into our city as well as needs arise. Some of this ministry will be very formal ministry overseen by our deacons and our community engagement team. Ministry like the mentoring we do at the Aquin Jones School just up the road. Ministry that the street outreach team does to people living among us in downtown that don't have homes. Ministry organized by our deacons to care for people in various kinds of physical and emotional distress. Some of the ministry will be formal, but some of the ministry will be organic ministry, mobilized by people in our church family who simply rise to the occasion when they hear of people getting sick or when they hear of people lose their jobs or when they hear of single parents having a hard time juggling their work responsibilities with the need to get their kids to school and other activities. And since the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how we should do all this ministry, it gives us hints here and there in Scripture, but since it doesn't exactly tell us how we should do all this, or when we're doing you know, the, the right amount of it, this is clearly going to need to be a prayed-over and spirit-filled and empowered endeavor. But even though we don't know all of the house, I can tell you that if we're being faithful in these areas, all of this ministry will be life-altering, paradigm-shifting, countercultural stuff, for sure. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be, you know, Mother Teresa, but it will mean that you'll live differently than those who haven't experienced the kindness and mercy of Jesus because our imaginations as a church family will be captivated by that mercy and kindness instead of the American dream. Can I ask a question this morning? What is captivating your imagination these days? What is captivating your imagination these days? Is it the kindness and mercy of the crucified and risen Jesus? Or is it something else? What, what fills your mind in the quiet moments? If it's something other than Jesus, if it's not Jesus, then we are in big-time danger of curating this, this schedule of spiritual practices for ourselves that will look really good on the surface, but are essentially empty and will not compel us to love one another and our neighbors. We're in danger of jumping into the same boat the prosperous Israelites were rowing before the exile. And listen, we feel the Israelites on, on the promises and the, and the blessings front as well. I mean, we we understand their, their eagerness. There's a sense in which, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but there's a sense in which all of us would kind of love to get out of here right about now 
and be with Jesus in the new city, Jerusalem, that he's preparing for us. It's been, it's been a rough couple of years. So we, we get the Israelites, right? are there promises and blessings? Is that now? Are they coming now? But if we're more fixated on, you know, maybe the chronology of end times events and blessings and we are with Jesus himself, that will pull us off mission as well. We'll be disengaged from the now. I mention this because as I speak, and this is a growing concern, I would, I would be happy to, to chat more about this in humility, but there's a growing oh, an army, I would say, of self-identified, usually prophets on YouTube and other mediums, who are very interested in giving secret insights these days into various symbols and, and time markers in the book of Revelation, but honestly don't seem to be that interested with Jesus himself and really knowing him. And they are attract, I say this because they are attracting millions of followers, millions, who I think then become glued to their phones waiting for the next big reveal instead of helping the neighbor across the street. Now at this point, there are sometimes objections along the lines of, you know, all of this is fine and well, but we're not the Israelites. You know, these ethical instructions were, were given to a very specific people at a very specific time in a very specific place, sure. But here's the thing. God in his nature and character have not changed a bit. The God of Israel remains our God today. And by the way, love of neighbor wasn't tied to the Israeliteness of Israelites, but to the kindness and the mercy that they had received from God, the same kindness and mercy we experience today in Christ Jesus. And by the way, the ethical exhortations that you find in Zechariah chapter 7 are reiterated all over the place in the New Testament by famous people like Jesus and the Apostle Paul and James. I mean, just a few months ago, we preached basically a full sermon on James 1.27, which reads, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Church, this is a huge part of what it means to be in our city. Huge. And we need all of you invested and involved. It's tempting to simply, you know, go to a church that does these things and, and kind of feel nice by association. But we need all of you in the game. Tyler Jacobs told you about a bunch of these opportunities a couple of Sundays ago. If you missed it, go back and listen to it on our YouTube channel, August 22nd service. I mentioned some other ones earlier. More opportunities are coming, and remember, a lot of this is going to be organic because we're a family, not a civic club. You're going to hear of needs arise in this church family and in our city. And will you engage because not to earn salvation, but because you've been so captivated by the kindness and the mercy of Christ Jesus that you just can't help it. It just, it just bleeds out of you. Okay, now I'm going to retract some of what I just said. Not really. But I do need to make a clarification. And that brings us to our second exhortation. Let's look at what's coming. Didn't we just say not to do that? And now I'm saying, actually, you should do that. Let's look at what's coming. Church, it turns out that there actually is some value in looking forward 
if that looking helps us become more fascinated with Jesus, especially if that fascination spills over into this this white-hot zeal to tell other people about Jesus. Because here's the thing about the book of Zechariah that's very important. It's not ultimately about us and our acts of kindness and mercy. It's not even about the Israelites, actually. You know what the book of Zechariah is about? The book of Zechariah is about God. That's what it's about. And here's what we learn about God in the book of Zechariah, especially when we come to chapter 14, at the very end of the book. Here's what we learn about him. We learn that God reigns over all things and that his, his sovereignty should give his people so much hope, especially in seasons of great difficulty. He should give us so much hope, especially in seasons of great difficulty. There's, there's this poignancy about Sherazer and Regamelech and their visit to the priests and prophets. It's really easy to miss. It's, it's a very poignant scene. Yes, there was some, some eagerness about you know, the prophesied blessings and the promises to come, but there was a gnawing sense of disappointment and confusion as well. Things were, were not going the way the Israelites thought they would go upon their return. Earlier I mentioned the opposition from their neighbors as well as their internal issues. So the inquiry from Sherazer and Regamelech, it wasn't like, hey, do we get to, do we get to stop feasting, you know, fasting and, and, and weeping now? Can that be done? Like, woo, you know, like it, it's, we're done, right? That's not, that's not the tone. The tone was more like, um, we're not really sure what to make of our present circumstances. Should we keep fasting? Should we keep this, this ritual going? Life is really hard out there, guys, and we're really confused. That's the tone. Difficulties were just sapping the strength of these Israelites. Difficulties have been, been dogging them for, for 70 years. Imagine it. 70 years. I know, I know two years of a pandemic has been awful. I'm not trying to downplay that, but the Israelites had been on, on the bad day train for 70 years. Constantly. So to help them persevere in the present and to remain faithful, here's what Zechariah did. He told them about the future. He told them about the future. He said, guys, I want to tell you about something that's coming. Culminating in this vision of the coming day of the Lord that Zechariah really presses into in chapter 14. And if you read Zechariah chapter 14, which I would encourage you to do, go home and read the whole book. It won't take you more than 20, 25 minutes. The outline of chapter 14 is basically this. Israelites, these difficulties that you're experiencing, they will continue for a time. There's more to come. It's, It's not all over yet, unfortunately. But God will not forsake you. He will be with you. He will be walking with you. And then eventually this day of the Lord will come in such awesome power that that human language cannot possibly describe the scene. 
And when it does, the Lord will reign as king over the entire earth, the whole thing. And as the king, the Lord, here's what the Lord is going to do as king. The Lord will punish evil. He will destroy those who have opposed him and his people. And he will also gather for himself a people to worship and enjoy him forever. That's what you find in Zechariah chapter 14. And this people that he's going to gather to worship him forever, check this out. This is wild. Possibly the most fascinating part of this chapter. This people that he's going to gather will be from all the nations. All the nations. Including non-Israelite, Gentile nations. This is, this is Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. Then everyone who survives of all the nations, there it is, that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. The Lord is saying, I'm, I'm going to turn on this, this day of the Lord. I'm going to turn your fasting Israelites into feasting. So take heart. And as these nations worship together, as you see it described here in Zechariah 14, there is this spectacular depiction of holiness, holiness, which everything is set apart for the Lord. Even, even the most common things that you can imagine, I mean, horses and pots in Zechariah chapter 14 are now set aside for the Lord. That's how holy things are. Your socks will be holy at that time. Seriously. The, the Shimmer and Shine DVDs that you checked out from the library that are way overdue and sitting on the shelf will be holy unto the Lord. Everything will be holy. Everything will be set apart for the Lord. Israelites, the suffering will continue for a time, but eventually that will end with a bang. And then you will worship me in this transformed Jerusalem, and surprise, the nations will worship with you. All people who have put their hope in the Lord. And how is this possible? It's possible... Because eventually the Israelites will really get their act together, right? Right? And, and earn this futuristic reward. No, that's not why. It's possible because a righteous branch was coming, whom the Lord foretold through the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. In other words, a, a branch from his ancestral tree. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And who is this, this, this salvific branch? And you didn't know trees could preach like this, but they're preaching. Who is that salvific branch? We know about him now. The branch is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the great and the far better king, David. The one who came to be faithful on our behalf, that he also might become sin on our behalf, though he himself knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That those who put their hope in him might, check this out, journey up 
the new Jerusalem, the new city Jerusalem, Revelation talks about it in 21 and 22, that those who put their hope in him might journey up to the new Jerusalem together with those from all the nations of the earth and worship God forever in his presence. So Israelites, look forward and take courage, be hopeful, and city church, look forward and be a very great hope. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. A day that is redescribed in glorious detail in the book of Revelation. That day is coming. Won't God do it? What does this mean in closing here? For being in our city. Here's what it means. Two things. Number one, it means we keep going. A lot of people are exhausted and spiritually depleted. A lot of people feel like Sherezer and Ragamelech and all the people that they are representing in Bethel. Worn out. I thought Christian living was going to be this way, and it's not really. It's hard. There's a pandemic. My classes aren't going how they were supposed to go. My job is awful. <laughs> Whatever. My kids aren't growing up in exactly the way that I had imagined. Because this day of the Lord is coming, it means that we can keep going. It means that we can persevere. Keep being faithful. Keep showing mercy and kindness to one another. Keep caring for the socially vulnerable. And it also means this. It also means that we can and get to tell other people about Jesus. It means that we go out of here and we have spiritual conversations with full confidence because you know what we know? We know that people from every nation are going to come and worship Jesus together on the day of the Lord. And we invest in global missions because we know that every nation is going to be represented on the day of the Lord. Zechariah encourages us and motivates us to show kindness and mercy to one another, especially to the socially vulnerable. And it motivates us to go out of these doors and with full boldness and confidence tell people about Christ Jesus, regardless of your cultural climate. To, to evangelize like the Dickens and expect that God's going to work in great power. That's what we mean when we talk about being this church that's in our city. Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's Supper together. And here's how Paul describes it. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples. And during this meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Or I'll put it another way. We're remembering that the day of the Lord is coming. That Christ died but was raised. 
and ascended into the presence of the Father. He will return on the day of the Lord, a day that will be glorious for the people of God, not that glorious for those people who are not God's people, as we just saw. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, I hope that you will come and participate in this meal. We'll have an elder or deacon on either side of this table with a basket, communion kits. Uh, just come approach either one of us, and we'll drop the kit in your hand. Or there's another basket under the hospitality table. You can go, go and grab one over there as well. Um, please come. Be nourished. Um, be encouraged. Be convicted of your sin. If you're here and you would not say that you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to reflect on what we've just been talking about. If we're reading it right by the power of the Spirit, this day of the Lord is coming. And you need to take that seriously and reckon with it. And I hope that you will. And I would encourage you to chat with me, fill out a connection card, and let's get going. Let's wrestle with it together. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this meal. I do pray that uh, if, if we're tired, even right now, and this whole thing, like, you know, might, is it, it would be possibly in danger of becoming some rote thing that we do in these next few moments. I pray that you would wake us up spiritually, um, that your spirit would move in such a way that we're prayerful and contemplative as we approach the table, uh, and that you would convict us concerning sin, that we need to bring to the light, that we can freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. to see a world you love, a world that goes beyond myself, awareness of forgotten ones, oh make my heart aware, compassion for the ones you made, hope in these uncertain days, willingness to change our ways, oh help us change our Tracing your footsteps will follow.
passing away But the works of your hands Are what will remain Let the favor of the Lord Rest to number the length of our days pour out your Establish the world. 
for worshiping with us this morning. Um, I forgot to mention, but if you do plan on going to Christianity Explored, go ahead and just RSVP on Realm if you're on Realm or fill out a connection card in your bulletin. Hear this benediction from Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Turn your eyes 
Strong. 